Produced in association with KPMG Australia, this is What Happens Next with Bernard Salt. Hello, I'm Bernard Salt. On this edition of the program, we look at the global developments in cybersecurity. We are seeing a massive push from a lot of countries around the globe to really share that in real time. And conversely, there are businesses as well that have come together, especially on the cybersecurity side, to joint share intelligence as they start to catch brand new threats in the wild. And we also check out how Australia is faring on the cybersecurity front. To immunise ourselves digitally is becoming more and more important. Our personal right up into national cyber hygiene. Digital trust is now the currency of cyberspace and because cyberspace has such a relationship with the physical world, the way that we trust technology and our use of those technologies is now really, really important. That's all coming up on the program when we discover what happens next. Well, there's no doubt that the spread of COVID-19 is putting immense pressure on health systems around the globe. But as the pandemic continues, it's also sparked a huge influx of cyber threats, which has been fueled by changes to the ways people work. Many people are now working from home and using their domestic networks and computers, which brings with it a range of challenges. To discuss this and other cybersecurity threats, I caught up with Chicago-based Nick Espinoza. He's the official spokesperson for the COVID-19 Cyber Threat Coalition, a member of the Forbes Technology Council and host of America's nationally syndicated radio show, The Deep Dive. Nick Espinoza, welcome to the program. Oh, thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Nick, uh, has the shift in the way people work brought on by COVID-19 made people and businesses more cyber aware? You know, I, I would say yes. And the reason being is that what is essentially unprecedented in the cybersecurity field is the focus worldwide of cyber criminals using one specific lore, one specific uh, umbrella, if you will, for how they were approaching and, and hitting people. And that was the coronavirus or COVID-19. Nick, as technology changes, so too do the requirements of cybersecurity for businesses. What are the key trends you're seeing globally? Uh, so there's two core trends in the last couple of years that we in the cybersecurity field have been looking at. Uh, you know, and everybody thinks of cybersecurity as your firewall or your antivirus and all of that. And those are very important components of cybersecurity. That's actually a subset of data security. But what we have been focusing on really uh, building defensive strategies for are two really critical things. The first one is the supply chain. We are seeing uh, just an absolute ton of data breaches happen week to week, and I know because every Sunday I do a breaches of the week video and it gets longer and longer, that a lot of organizations have to declare a data breach, not because they got hit, but because a supplier of theirs got hit. So, you know, you outsource your, your paperwork or your HR or to some random organization, they get hit and now you have to declare uh, a data breach. And so we have been looking uh, very, very closely at supply chain assurance in the cybersecurity field in the last few years as we realized we're just basically all interconnected on the internet. And the next thing that we've been looking at and really been honing uh, is the identity management side of things. We have a massive amount of data breaches, as I just mentioned, which means we are continuously seeing a massive flood of usernames and passwords uh, that are hitting the dark web, whether they're for sale or just dumped out there for free. Uh, you know, a lot of employees will, uh, you know, that spend just an absolute ton of time in the office 
will simply use their work email to log into everything from LinkedIn to Netflix to whatever they do in their lives. And when one of those outside organizations gets hit, that email address and possibly the same password they use at the office has now been exposed. And so we are looking at creating more advanced identity management solutions that start to monitor the behavior uh, you know, of the user as they're logging in. So as I sit here uh, you know, in Chicago in the United States, if suddenly one of my users, one of my employees based in Chicago started logging in from Sydney uh, you know, 50,000 times a minute or so, an identity management solution is going to see that and say, wait a second, that person is on the other side of the planet. They're, they're behaving in a way that no human could possibly behave or interact with the system. There must be a threat and then basically disable the, the user from absolutely every login in the organization. So we're applying this artificial intelligence to identity management to create what's called a software-defined perimeter that is outclassing traditional connection technologies like virtual private network or VPN. But those are the two big things, supply chain awareness and identity management have been really critical focuses for cybersecurity right now. It's, it's just a huge problem we have on both ends. Nick, we have global frameworks to help various countries align on areas such as tax and business practices. In terms of cybersecurity, are we seeing countries work together to try to triage the effects of global cyber attacks? Absolutely. I, I, and I think that's a really good question because Obviously, a lot of people don't realize that data over the internet moves at roughly 3,000 miles a second. And please do not ask me to convert that into kilometers because I am horrible <laughs> with that. Uh, you know, But uh, by virtue of that, we are all interconnected. And in seconds, I can have data move to the other side of the planet. And so when you were looking at countries that have had uh, you know, historically very good relations and ties like the United States and Australia or organizations like Five Eyes, which is an intelligence sharing organization across uh, you know, five different countries, we, we have this understanding that, that as we are tracking and looking for cyber criminals, wherever they may be, uh, that we are going to be sharing this, this freely. Now, we also have law enforcement internationally like Interpol that actually had a presence in the COVID-19 Cyber Threat Coalition and others where they are taking the intelligence that organizations like the Cyber Threat Coalition were, were uh, essentially ingesting and looking at and using that as uh, ideally actionable intel to basically start kicking in doors and arresting cyber criminals. So we are seeing, a, a, I think, a massive push from a lot of countries around the globe to really share that in real time. And conversely, there are businesses as well uh, that have come together, especially on the cybersecurity side, to joint share intelligence as they start to catch brand new threats in the wild. Uh, one of them would be uh, the Cyber Threat Alliance. It's run by an individual named uh, Michael Daniel, who is a former national um, cybersecurity advisor to uh, former President Obama. He's running this private organization now, and a lot of the major uh, firewall makers, antivirus, all these kinds of threat intelligence gathering uh, companies that are private are now sharing this in real time and obviously allowing uh, you know, governments access to this kind of stuff as well so that we are all on the same page to try to combat this. <clears throat> this is a very huge problem that we have. And a lot of people don't realize that, that historically cybersecurity has essentially been cat and mouse, meaning uh, you, know, you never know when that 12-year-old kid is gonna find a new way to innovate around all of the defenses of something and get in. And then we identify that threat, we understand what happens, and then we create a solution uh, essentially to block that and we continue to monitor for the next innovation in that sense. But yes, there is a lot of collaboration around the globe. Uh, we could always use more collaboration, of course, but uh, you know, as we have these alliances globally, uh, you know, in whatever ilk they are coming together to try to share this threat intelligence at a, in a very real level. 
Nick, you're an expert in this field and working globally on these challenges. What does the next wave of hacking look like? Will it be like the WannaCry virus or will it show up as something we just would never have expected to see? And if so, how can we prepare for that? So if I knew exactly what the next major cyber attack would be, uh, I would probably be doing this interview from my private island somewhere because I would have the solution everyone would buy, <laughs> you know. But, uh, but in that sense, I, you know, we do see trends and we do see patterns and we do see innovation. Uh, you know, if I go back to the five laws of cybersecurity, law number four is uh, with innovation comes opportunity for exploitation. And so by virtue of that, as we develop new and really cool stuff, People are going to find ways to break into it maliciously or otherwise uh, and start enumerating vulnerability. And so it's very easy to predict that as we continue to adopt IoT or Internet of Things, these are the gadgets that you put in your home, whether it's your DVR or a toaster that you connect to your Wi-Fi for some reason. Uh, you know, we are going to see more attacks on stuff like that. Um, we are absolutely going to see more identity theft that has been absolutely exploding. I actually just recently did a, a conference uh, on uh, cyber fraud. And I was talking about that for Australia and New Zealand, where uh, basically you guys are seeing a, a huge explosion in identity theft right now. And it's going to continue to be more pervasive in mobile as we see app development for both iPhone and Android. And both of them are absolutely uh, susceptible to infection and hacking and all of that, uh, including the iPhone. A lot of people have that misconception. We will continue to see malicious apps being built and all of that around that. And we're also going to continue to see more evasive ransomware. There have been ransomware in the last few years that has fooled virtually every antivirus. And again, that cat and mouse game of us adjusting and, and, and honing and coming up with better ways to look at this, like artificial intelligence and neural networks and all of that, which are really helping uh, stem that tide. We're going to see different tactics that are coming from these ransomware groups where it's just money for them. So we've recently seen a rash where, uh, you know, they will copy out all of your data and then lock it out. And you're thinking, oh, great, I've got a backup. I can just wipe them out and restore. What it, what ends up happening, um, they will come to you and say, well, we have a copy of your data. Here's proof that we do. So pay us. Even if you can restore, uh, you know, you still have to pay us. Otherwise, we're going to dump this out. And so we're going to see a lot more of these things. Innovation in exploitation, especially uh, when we are talking about the criminal side of things, is absolutely going to be happening. And we are always trying to maintain a complete vigilance as to what that looks like. But yes, I think those are the big things that we're going to be seeing. And uh, it's not going to stop anytime soon. Hopefully, we can continue to be more proactive uh, on the defensive side as we are developing some just amazing new technology to combat this. Nick Espinoza, thanks for helping us discover what happens next. Well, we've looked at what's happening on the cybersecurity front globally, but what about closer to home? How is Australia coping with the increased threat pressure in this space? To find out more, I recently spoke to the CEO of AustCyber, Michelle Price, and cybersecurity services partner, KPMG Australia, Cathy Robbins. Cathy and Michelle, welcome to the program. Hi, Bernard. Hi, Bernard. Great to be with you. Michelle, if I could start with you, how does Australia rank on the cybersecurity front compared with its global counterparts? 
Bernard, we have jumped up the ranks so much over the past sort of six, seven years. So if we take our minds back around about a decade, Australia was doing work, obviously, on cybersecurity, but it was largely the domain of critical infrastructure companies and government. In the broader economy, there wasn't very much awareness of the role of cybersecurity at all. And so we ranked sort of around about the middle of uh, the sort of global standings around uh, different companies and countries that were doing cybersecurity. Fast forward to 2016 when Australia launched its first strategic plan around where we stood in the world around cybersecurity. That provided a significant uplift to the amount of information available to all businesses and also the community around why cybersecurity is so important. We also placed a huge amount of effort uh, in the role of policy and also strategy in the country around cybersecurity. And I think now we can count ourselves in definitely the top 10. Uh, and within our region of the world, uh, I think recently, uh, you know, there's different kinds of measures, but uh, the Australian Strategic Policy Institute ranks us at number two. Well, that's that's very reassuring. Um, are, you, are you satisfied that we're, um, are, we, are we rising or we're holding our own or falling? Great question. Uh, obviously, with the pandemic, uh, we've been really, really challenged with malicious cyber actors online and the way in which that activity is impacting the physical world as well. I think we are still holding our own, but the game is changing up all the time. And so in some areas of cybersecurity, I think we're actually really moving ahead. And one of those areas, I think, is in developing sovereign capability. But I think in other areas, we've, we've kind of fallen a little bit behind because the, the attack surface, if you like, that we talk about in national security has broadened out dramatically, largely because of work from home and school from home, but for a whole range of other reasons as well. So we're probably sitting around about the same if we average it out, but uh, it's, it's an ever-changing, uh, ever-dynamic landscape and we need to keep up our game. We can't stay the same. Cathy, from your perspective, what are the key cybersecurity issues you're seeing in the market? I guess um, there are quite a few, unfortunately, and there are different ones for different sectors. But a general theme is everybody is still trying to figure out what to do in that next phase post-pandemic. So, you know, at the start, when we were all going into stage three lockdown, there was a huge amount of transformation, you know, moving to mobile and more remote ways of working and, and standing up infrastructure. And there, there was a meme that was quite funny that was going around saying that, you know, the reason for transformation and one of the little checkboxes was COVID-19. But what we've seen now is that some of that infrastructure that was stood up in a hurry is now, you know, people have looked at it and thought, okay, maybe this isn't the best or it wasn't the most secure deployment. So there is a little bit of that consolidation and looking at what was done as a potential Band-Aid fix that now is needing to be a more permanent fixture. So we're seeing almost a review of some of that accelerated transformation. Um, we definitely saw the move to cloud more so than we were seeing beforehand. So very, very quick um, SaaS-based, you know, infrastructure as a service-based cloud sort of technologies, you know, platform as a service adoption across all industry sectors. And then the other thing we've seen is on the back of that is with the downturn in the market is a lot of that need to drive a cost optimization across the organisation and consolidate spend. So a lot more of that taking a step back and looking at, okay, what is our tech debt? What can we consolidate? Where can we, re, you know, reduce cost and then prioritise cybersecurity initiatives on the back of that? And so what we're seeing is the driver is 
how do we enable more remote? How do we enable more with less? And so that's a, a common theme that we're seeing across the industry. Do you think that we're actually getting ahead on that or are we losing ground on that? Is there, is there a lot of space to catch up in that regard? Look, I think there is, but there also is a lot of that analysis paralysis. And, you know, I, I love NIST from a, a perspective of making it easy for people to sort of understand you know, you don't need to be a deep cybersecurity specialist to understand there's five pillars where you've got, you know, identify, protect, detect, respond, recover. Like that sort of makes sense to, to anybody. But what we saw over years, and, you know, I'm not about to sort of disparage Gartner, but a lot of people went, what's the best of breed of a technology that I need? I'll go to Gartner, I'll buy that. And now you've got 40, 50 technologies that you've got and the total cost of ownership for that is significant. And now we're looking at organisations and, you know, I'm enabling and helping people to go, well, you know, in the last few years, we've seen a lot of tech giants buy each other. So you've got technologies that are being rolled in under, you know, a, like, you know, Microsoft has a huge suite of security products. Palo Alto has a huge suite of security products. So now there's the ability to consolidate and start to, okay, I can turn that one off because the license I've got enables that and start to drop the overall cost. But if you're not someone who lives and breathes it every day like I do, trying to have that sort of conversation in your own organisation or know where to begin can make it very, very difficult to start. So we're seeing a little bit of that happen where it's, I need to get more with less, but where do I begin? The way people work has now changed and I'd say remote working will be part of the way people work going forward. What are the implications for this in business? Uh, I think there are significant implications and Cathy has hinted at quite a few of those. And I think the, the, the key part in all of this is remembering that what works for an enterprise-sized organisation, uh, you know, we, we sort of refer often to ASX uh, companies there, but actually it's really the ASX top 50 uh, that we can say have real sort of size and scale. And there are some government agencies actually that are as big as that as well. But right down to sole traders, and we know, of course, that the engine room of the Australian economy has always been uh, SMEs. And now we also know from the pandemic that it's really actually the M in SMEs that uh, have been the engine room of growth and export opportunity, uh, with everyone in between kind of trying to compete there. And so in terms of that remote working piece, it necessarily is going to be a feature of us going forward. But how we determine the culture around that from a business point of view, I think is going to be critical. Trying to uh, move more jobs uh, into regional areas to have a more networked approach, that helps to build resilience. It also helps work-life balance, which we all struggle with. Uh, but it also actually will help with security, I believe, if we can make sure that we've got the right incentives around both the behaviours of how we use technology to help us secure ourselves but also recognising that the infrastructure that supports that networked effect of having people in lots of different locations, including outside of Australia, that that infrastructure is invested in consistently, that we see these, uh, these kind of requirements, if you like, now of doing business, including security, as an investment, not a cost. Because if we keep seeing it as a cost, we'll keep downgrading it. And these things actually need to be amplified as we transform. I'd add one more piece to the conversation and say as a bit of a, a closing out, uh, you know, that digital trust is now the currency 
of cyberspace and because cyberspace has such a relationship with the physical world, uh, the way that we trust technology and our use of those technologies uh, is now really, really important. Michelle Price and Cathy Robbins, thanks for helping us discover what happens next. Hello, I'm Whitney Fitzsimmons, the executive producer of What Happens Next. And now it's that time in the program for something a little bit different, where we turn the tables and I get to interview our host and resident demographer, Bernard Salt. So, Bernard, Nick was a fascinating speaker. Didn't he have some really interesting insights into what cybersecurity threats will look like in the future? Absolutely, Whitney. I was really quite taken with his view of where cybersecurity is going in the future. Uh, it can be quite frightening. I actually first met Nick two years ago at a conference in Fiji. He came from Chicago, I came from Melbourne, and he really had an impact on the audience, had an extraordinary impact on me. I went straight home, changed all my passwords and changed protocols in um, in, in my business. Um, but what he was saying was that, look, you can't really predict precisely where the threats are going to come from, but you can build the protocols or build the responsiveness or be hyper alert and aware. You need to have the right culture to, to respond to these threats because they will keep innovating and you need to have the right protocols in place in order to respond to that. There are a couple of points that he made. I felt he expects identity theft to be a greater issue in the, uh, in the future. And also his story about ransomware. Um, it, it, it certainly is um, quite a criminal world out there when business and others have to, uh, have to deal with people like that. But I suppose that's um, human nature and that's part of business going forward. Yeah, and I think he also mentioned IoT or the Internet of Things and how, you know, as we increasingly have devices such as refrigerators or televisions that once were not necessarily connected to the Internet but now they are, that brings a greater cybersecurity threat and we, you know, really need to be aware of what those devices are capable of doing or, or what kind of uh, cyber doorway they create to our networks. Um, and that really dovetails into what Kathy and Michelle were saying about how cybersecurity is really up to all of us. It's about awareness and how we need to really understand and be aware constantly of what our digital footprint is. I, I agree. And I think that um, the discussion also talked about the almost the fusion of work from home. So as the proportion of Australians who work from home increases in the future, then the scope for cross-fertilisation of the technology at home or the technology used by your kids or your partner or whatever, getting mixed up with the technology that you use for work purposes uh, really becomes more extreme. Uh, and as a consequence, they use words like uh, awareness, of course, cyber awareness, and then cyber hygiene, I love that term. It's a little bit like with the COVID-19, we were taught very early on that you need to wash your hands all the time. Yes, it's become a very hygienic world, hasn't it, Bernard? <laughs> it has become a hygienic Well, I suppose it's the same thing. It's an, it's an infection. It's either a bodily infection mm. or it's a uh, cyber infection. And uh, when you think about it, if you simply have a greater number of people working from home, then the possibility of data breaches or missteps, inadvertent or whatever 
has, has got to increase. So again, how can you develop the protocols to protect against that? What can you do to manage that? What is the culture you need to actually to minimise those risks? They're the discussions that I think should be taking place and no doubt are taking place at, at a board level and senior, certainly a senior management team level at the moment. All right, well, that's all for the program. Thank you, Bernard. Thank you, Whitney. And thank you for listening to What Happens Next. You've been listening to What Happens Next with Bernard Salt. Produced in association with KPMG Australia. If you enjoyed this episode, you can subscribe to the show through Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts.